0: Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T to my loyal bedcrimers. Hello. To anyone who's new here, thank you for checking me out. Do me a favor, please hit that like button. It's a free way you can help me. Now let's dig in. I want to share really fascinating information about the Delphi case out of Indiana. I listened to Duty Ron's show from two days ago with retired FBI special agent Jennifer Coffendaffer. That name's going to be hard for me to repeat. Just hang in there with me, okay? As well as a man named Peter A. Krusko. Krusko is an attorney who formerly served as a federal, state, and New York prosecutor as well as Executive Assistant District Attorney and Chief of the Investigations Division. The discussion centered around why the original judge in the case against suspect Richard Allen may have recused himself and why the court documents in the case are currently sealed. Allow me to break it all down for you. Let's start with why Judge Benjamin Diener, who resides over the small Carroll County Courthouse, in Delphi, may have recused himself. We already know that Judge Diener expressed that he doesn't have the skilled manpower that he would need to deal with this case, which has garnered worldwide attention. Diener also expressed that he felt he, his staff, and his family did not feel safe and are not safe as a result of being attached to the Delphi case, and specifically the case against suspect Richard Allen. According to Cruscoe, Deaner by stating this publicly has just given Allen's eventual defense attorney ammunition for arguing that the case should be tried away from Delphi, Indiana. So bad on Deaner for saying that. Prosecutor Nick McLealand is going to want to see Allen's case tried in Delphi. This is because his offices are in Delphi. His staff is in Delphi. His family and home are probably in Delphi also. If the case gets moved to another location, it will be harder for the prosecutor to arrange for any witnesses to testify. Basically, if the trial is moved to another location, it will complicate the situation in a big way for the prosecutor. It will also make it difficult for the prosecutor to find jurors to his liking for the case. Now, as for Judge Deener's concerns about his safety and that of his staff and family, Crusco described having to oversee a case in which a big-time mobster was on trial. Crusco's courthouse offices were firebombed during the course of the trial, and he even had to go into the witness protection program for some time. So yes, judges on high-profile, emotionally fraught cases can definitely be in danger as a result of overseeing those cases. Crisco's story definitely drives home the dangers judges and prosecutors can find themselves facing in cases like the Delphi case. Krusko also talked about why the Indiana Supreme Court may have specifically appointed Allen County Superior Court Judge Fran Gall as special judge in the case. It sounds like Fran Gall. I should call her Judge Fran Gall out of respect as an administrative judge, is in charge of ordering security for the court. So she apparently has the power to double up her own security if she sees fit. That's one thing. It's also believed that Judge Gull is a tough cookie who has the experience and fortitude to handle this case. Gull was handpicked for the Delphi case because of those qualities and her experience. As to why the court documents related to the case are sealed, Cruscoe shared five compelling reasons why prosecutor Nick McLeyland may have asked for that extraordinary sealing per Crusco. A judge might seal these documents because, one, an informant was involved, and that informant's safety would be at risk if the defendant, in this case Richard Allen, knew about the informant. This is certainly a doozy. Could there be an informant in the Delphi case? Yes, could it be Kagan Klein? Maybe. Two. The second reason a judge might seal the documents is because of some investigative strategy that law enforcement doesn't want the public to know about right now. Three. The third reason a judge might seal the documents is because law enforcement is still seeking a co-conspirator or co-defendant, and they don't yet have all their ducks in a row or all the goods against that co-conspirator. So law enforcement would not want a co-conspirator to know that he or she may soon be arrested. This is especially important if law enforcement is afraid that this co-conspirator, when he finds out or she finds out about it, that they could head off to another country that doesn't extradite citizens back to the US. So this third one makes me wonder if maybe there is a suspected co-conspirator in the Delphi case. Could it be Kagan Klein or his father, Tony Klein? Could it be someone else we've never heard of? No one but law enforcement knows at this point. The fourth reason a judge might seal the court documents is because a third-party witness might still be a little shaky about testifying, and law enforcement needs a little more time to spend with this person and build up his or her confidence. And the fifth and final reason Crusco said a judge might seal court documents is because of a federal request. If a federal prosecutor requests such a sealing. The judge, I guess, has to comply. Krusko also stated that the more information that gets out about the evidence in that probable cause affidavit, the more chances that the jury pool could be tainted. You have to ensure that there are jurors who will not be tainted by what they already know about Libby and Abby's case and about Richard Allen. So, this is a very compelling reason to keep the evidence that was laid out in that probable cause document under wraps for the moment. So, now I'm back to thinking that the court docs should remain sealed, at least for the next, I don't know how long, but. I don't want to see this case jeopardized in any way. My compass always goes back to Libby and Abby and their families. I want what's best for ensuring they get justice and ensuring the case against the person the police believe committed the crime doesn't get blown in any way. Now, when this interview with Koffendaffer and Crusco was done, Delphi suspect, Richard Allen hadn't yet written his letter asking for a public defender to be appointed to him. Crusco said that the period during which a suspect like Richard Allen, when he doesn't have legal counsel, this is advantageous to the prosecutor working the case because the prosecutor may feel that it is inappropriate to share their evidence with the defendant, Richard Allen. They may have it sealed so he can't see it. And once Allen gets himself a lawyer, then the prosecutor can also say that Allen's lawyer is the only one who can see the court document meaning Allen cannot see the document himself. But Krusko also said that it is very dangerous for Richard Allen not to have a lawyer. And Krusko wasn't saying this from the perspective of Allen needing legal guidance so that he doesn't do something like maybe confess. Rather, it was because any future defense attorney who ends up representing Allen could argue that his client's rights were being violated during this period when he had no access to legal counsel, and this in turn could lead to the case being thrown out of court. Richard Allen definitely has a right to a lawyer. He also has a right to have that lawyer by his side at all the upcoming hearings on his case, and he has a right to reject a particular public defender assigned to him if he doesn't like that public defender for some reason. So I was unaware of this, but Allen has the right to have a lawyer of his own picking. Of course, he has to pick from the pool of public defenders because he stated that he doesn't have the funds to hire a private attorney. But you cannot force a certain attorney on Allen, apparently. Richard Allen has until November 17th to retain legal counsel because he's set to appear for a hearing on November 22nd. Now, it sounds like that hearing may be pushed out because there won't be enough time for this public defender to get with Allen and get everything in order. The discussion then turned to capital punishment. In Indiana, for the charges Allen is facing, he does qualify for capital punishment. However, Cruscoe said that if the prosecutor asks for this, suddenly Judge Fran Gull will give Allen something called super rights. And this means that both the prosecutor and Allen's lawyers and the judge will all have to be absolutely scrupulous in making sure all of Allen's rights are met. This is because if he has found guilty, the sentence could mean the end of his life. So capital punishment cases present a lot more work, apparently, for the attorneys. Now, you would think they would always be scrupulous in making sure that a defendant's rights are met. But apparently this is not the case. Per Cruscoe, it will take a lot to get Richard Allen tried for capital punishment, even though this case and Libby and Abby's deaths definitely warrant such an extreme punishment. Moving on to the next topic the panel discussed, and this was Ron Logan. You may recall that Libby and Abby were found deceased on Ron Logan's property. And Ron Logan was at one point a person of interest in the Delphi case. His property was searched, so law enforcement were able to get a probable cause affidavit for a search warrant for Logan's property. Jennifer Koffendorfer seems to have done a lot of research on Ron Logan, and she believes he was involved in the Delphi case. Unfortunately, Logan died of COVID-19 on August 30th of 2022. Note that the police never arrested Ron Logan. So Coffindoffer pointed out that Ron Logan's phone pinged two minutes after 14-year-old Libby German posted the photo of 13-year-old Abby Williams to her Snapchat at 2.07 p.m., near the Monon High Bridge. So Ron Logan's phone pinged at 2.09 p.m. near the Monon High Bridge. And Koffendaffer said that the ping was not at Logan's house. It was specifically near the Monon High Bridge. Now this was information that I'd never heard before. Coffindaffer also stated that Logan's phone pinged two times later that same day. February 13th of 2017, near the crime scene, meaning where Libby and Abby would later be found deceased on February 14th. So Ron Logan's phone pinged near the crime scene on February 13th at both 7.56 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. According to Jennifer Coffendoffer, This information came straight out of the probable cause warrant to search Ron Logan's property that was accidentally leaked to the public due to some sort of clerical error. She also said that it is her belief that Ron Logan was never charged in connection to the crime because of his age. Note that Logan was 77 years old, when Libby and Abby died. Coffindoffer, Duty Ron, and a lady who goes by Sleuthy also chatted about the unknown fibers that were found at the crime scene. Richard Allen and his wife had or have, I don't know how many they have right now, but they had two cats. Many people, including Sleuthy, think that perhaps those fibers may be cat hair that was linked to Richard Allen's house and or clothing. Note that during the Indiana State Police's press conference announcing Richard Allen's arrest, Superintendent Doug Carter thanked the scientists within the laboratory division of the Indiana State Police. In fact, Carter thanked the labs a second time as well. This strengthens the speculation that some sort of connection was made between evidence found at the crime scene and Richard Allen. So that's my sum up of Duty Ron's really fascinating one hour and 40 minute episode. And I'll leave a link to that video in the description. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories.